We're starting our journey by examining the behaviors of people-pleasing and perfectionism. These are two habits that often feel complex because on one hand, they make us feel safe by ensuring we're engineering every situation we're in to end up being well-liked and avoiding conflict. On the other hand, these behaviors can really get in our way when they prevent us from being able to speak up about what we really want or need in both work and personal life. And when we consistently are not able to get what we need, we'll often slip into cycles of unaddressed fight or flight that will perpetuate into burnout. Where do behaviors of people-pleasing and perfectionism come from? Let's start by understanding where many of our subconscious behaviors can come from. A lot of us assume that because we've always had a behavior that we were just born with it and can't change it. Sometimes that might be true, but a lot of the times our individual psychology and behaviors are more influenced by our nurture than our nature. Meaning many of our behaviors were adapted and automated into a subconscious reaction based on our prior experiences. Technically speaking, these are what we call cognitive schemas, but in everyday terms, I like to think of these as mental maps that our brain uses to learn how the world works based on what we experience. Our brains adapt such automated subconscious reactions out of efficiency and safety. Efficiency so that once we learn one thing, we don't have to go through effortful processing to keep figuring it out. For example, the efficiency gained from the muscle memory we learn from riding a bike or driving a car. Safety so that our brain can predict what's happening to us and make sure it's wiring up the appropriate emotional and physical state to be in. For example, if I have an encounter with a dog that bites me when I'm young, my brain will adapt by making sure that anytime I see a dog in the future, that I wire in this reaction of vigilance, protection, and fear to keep myself safe this time around. A lot of our cognitive schemas, our subconscious responses, are formed during our early lives in childhood. I know it can feel cliche or tender to talk about our childhood psychology, but the reason it's important in this conversation is because when we are kids, our brains are little blank slates. We haven't experienced a lot of life yet, so our brains are trying to absorb as much as possible from what we experience and automating those experiences into the schemas that guide us throughout the rest of life. This can be really helpful in things like learning basic motor skills, body language, and even social skills. This can sometimes be unhelpful, however, when reactions or responses that we learn early on are no longer relevant or productive to our adult lives, but we're stuck in autopilot around them. This isn't to say, blame it all on your parents or anything like that, but really to highlight that most of us have not done the due diligence to really understand where the blueprint of our behaviors came from and whether or not they're still optimal for where we are now in life. That being said, childhood is certainly not the only place where we learn our subconscious reactions. We can also learn them throughout life, really in any experience that indicates safety or danger to us. So times when we are really, really rewarded or times when we are really threatened or disempowered. How then do people-pleasing and perfectionism get adapted? We are all unique individuals, so the root of these behaviors will be different for each of us. For the sake of education today, we'll go through two case examples just to illustrate how people-pleasing and perfectionism often can become adapted and automated as a behavioral response. 
One example we will take from childhood development, um, we'll start with perfection. Let's say that I grow up in a family structure where being perfect and good is consistently rewarded and making mistakes is disciplined or shamed. And maybe I am a sibling with two other siblings and I discover that whoever gets the best grades, does the best in sports or extracurriculars, gets compliments from our parents' friends for behaving well, that we get the most love and attention and reward from our parents or our caretakers. But then on the other hand, when any of us make a mistake, when we get a bad grade, when we have to get disciplined by our parents or their friends, that we will feel disempowered, we'll get sent to our room, we'll be shamed, we'll be told, oh, you should really be like your sibling. This is where our childhood brain can associate and learn, okay, safety and caretaking and love is gained when we are perfect. Whereas if we make mistakes or fail, then that's associated with danger, disempowerment, and shame. So then our brain kind of autopilots this for the rest of our lives by adapting. Okay, we always need to make sure we're perfect, make sure we're dotting every I and crossing every T, and almost hypervigilant around that to make sure we're orienting towards safety. And anytime we sense any possibility for failure or making a mistake, we rev right into fight or flight mode to protect ourselves. Another example in childhood could be around where we develop people-pleasing, where as kids, maybe we adapt this around belonging or avoiding conflict. Maybe as kids, we didn't feel like we fit in very well, or we were made fun of, or maybe even bullied, to where we psychologically adapt by learning, okay, there are these really dangerous situations, whether it's psychological or physical, where we're made fun of and we're called out for not belonging. So what we're gonna do to adapt is make sure that we are always really passive, really complimentary, making sure everyone's good and hunky-dory, and that we're avoiding conflict at all costs. This can be a really good adaptation for then, but maybe outdates itself later on. Again, these examples highlight where we can make really good adaptations that help us navigate and even survive situations where we learn and adapt them. But when run on autopilot from there, sometimes they start to get in our way instead. For example, at work, maybe I know that I need to give one of my team members some constructive feedback. Maybe they just keep missing the mark on something that's a really important team deliverable that we have. But if I have this deep people-pleasing mechanism and this fear of causing any kind of conflict or unpleasant emotion, and I'm just a sugarcoater where I'm like, oh yeah, that, that, looked, that looked great, good job. Maybe, maybe you can adjust this, but I'm sugarcoating right over the feedback, then that team member's never gonna get it, and we're actually gonna produce a deliverable that's not as high quality, and that puts our entire team back a step and really doesn't help us at all. Another example in personal life is maybe if I have, again, some kind of hard truth um, to tell a friend. Maybe I have a friend who's been in a really toxic, hurtful, unhealthy relationship for a long time. And I know deep down that they need to think about getting out of this relationship. But because, again, I really just want to keep things copacetic and don't want to rock the boat, if I sugarcoat right after that and really kind of avoid the truth that I have, 
that's not only gonna lead to me not helping a friend out, but it's also gonna lead to relationships that really lack vulnerability, intimacy, and safety. Um, when we use people-pleasing to keep ourselves only in the safety blanket and cocoon of things being pleasant, we miss this entire spectrum of life that's just reality, where we need relationships and support around those situations too. If these behaviors aren't as relevant or productive to our current lives, then why do these behaviors stay so sticky? When we experience these feelings and behaviors like people-pleasing and perfectionism, we're often in some kind of stressful situation maybe a fight or flight response, for example. When we're in such a response, our brain is focused solely on immediate survival and many of its functions alter around that. In fight or flight, our animalistic reflexive brain is really in the driver's seat, whereas our human rational brain is really in the passenger seat. This firstly can make old behavior sticky because they're coming up as a learned protection or defense and if our brain believes we're in some kind of danger, those protective defensive reactions are going to be wired in an especially intense and strong way. It's why when we feel people-pleasing or perfectionism pop up, it can feel so compelling and strong, even if we rationally recognize it might not be the most productive behavior we have. Secondly, when we're in fight or flight, our brain's error correction function is less resourced meaning our brain isn't gonna do as good of a job as usual in reflecting back and asking, was that the right response or do we need to make an adjustment in learning? In fight or flight, we're in immediate moment-to-moment -moment survival brain and not as able to engage in that cerebral activity of reflection and error correction. This is also why behaviors like people-pleasing and perfectionism can stay so sticky because a lot of the times we're having those pop up as a reaction to a stressful situation. Why is all of this important? It's important to understand the roots of our reactions as a first step to change. It's one thing to know that we have a behavior that isn't working optimally, but it's another to know the specific root of it. Just like in your daily work life, you know that if a technical function isn't working optimally, you need to investigate down to the specific root to determine the best solution. Like it or not, that's similar for our psychology and learned behaviors as well. Additionally, it's important to invest time in doing such reflective work on our reactions outside of a window when that reaction would normally pop up. This allows our nervous system to be in a more regulated, conscious, and rational, emotionally balanced state to process and develop psychological change. In the coming chapters, we'll review similar case examples of how behaviors like stress-seeking, over-functioning, self-sacrifice, and boundary betrayal are adapted. Then we'll move into action, an activity to uncover our own behavioral blueprints, tips and example phrases for learning to set boundaries, and how to start building more sustainable success.